You glad to be in church? Me too. Just to remind us, so we have launched Hope Cafe, which is here every Monday, half nine till 12. It's on a Monday, so you can come down, get yourself a free coffee, and uh, just hang out and be together, and that's going to be a great time. So that's not just this Monday, but every Monday. Um, so come on down and grab yourself a coffee and just hang out. If you are free and available, you are welcome to be here. Um, the guys would love to see you down here. Well, this, we are continuing with our series this morning, looking at the road to the cross. And you may be thinking it's Palm Sunday, so we're going to look at the story and the theme of Palm Sunday. But we're not, because chronologically that wouldn't have worked with where we've already been. So we're going to skip Palm Sunday. But do you know, just, just as a quick Palm Sunday, let's give it a nod, as a quick Palm Sunday reflection. So on the Palm Sunday, which we celebrate as Jesus entered into uh, the town riding on a donkey, as we know, and people laid down palm leaves and they laid down their coats and they were singing Hosanna like we've been singing this morning, celebrating their king. And then a few days later, it was the same people jeering in the crowd, asking for him to be crucified. It's incredible, isn't it? This transformation from one day where they are cheering and celebrating this man to the next moment, asking for him to be crucified. And I think that can sometimes perhaps even show the fickle nature of us as, as humans that, you know, Jesus didn't come to, to do what they thought he was going to do. They had this idea of the, the Messiah and what he was going to come and do when he came to earth, but he didn't do what they thought he was going to do. He, the way he was going to save the world didn't look how they expected him how they expected it, and so they, they flipped. They flipped and they decided, no, we want this guy killed. It's crazy. So I encourage us that no matter how God moves in our life, whether it looks like we expect it to look or it looks completely different, know that God is God, that he is good, that he is king and Lord, Amen. and we can trust in him and we can trust that he will work all things for our good. Amen? Amen. Well, let's just pray before we dive in to the word this morning. Father God, we thank you for this day when we can celebrate you entering in on that donkey. And we pray that we won't be those people that would flip our attitude towards you, but that we would remember that you are God, that you are awesome, that you love us and that you are for us. And we thank you for that sacrifice that you chose to make for us on the cross. And we look forward to Easter Sunday when we can celebrate all that that means. So bless this morning as we open your word. Speak through me, through your word, into your hearts and lives this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are not going to focus on Palm Sunday this morning, but we are going to focus on this really sad but beautiful moment the evening before Jesus was tried and crucified. And you can almost call this kind of the calm before the storm of what was about to come in the story of Jesus, his capture, his torture, and ultimately his death. And so turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 26, or it will appear on the screen behind me, and we are going to read the story of what happened in Gethsemane. It says this, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me even one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Do you know, we we as a nation, and, and especially I think as Christians, and this is a broad stroke, so bear with me on that and please don't take offense, but um, I think that we've kind of come to a place and we've concluded that actually it's not okay to not be okay. It's not okay to not be okay. And if you don't believe me, just go and speak to some people after the service and say, how you doing? And you'll inevitably hear, I'm fine. How are you? Because that's what we do, isn't it? I'm fine. I'm fine. And as men and women of faith, particularly, for some reason, we've come to the idea that actually our response to the question, how you're doing, is God is good. I'm blessed. He's going to work all things for good. It's fine. Life is good. It's rosy. It's peachy. God is good all the time. And all the time... Yeah. And eventually this answer, it becomes a conditioned response until we couldn't imagine doing it any other way. And in church, particularly, that's how I respond. It's all good. I'm fine. Even in life groups, we can, we can go around the circle at, at the end of our discussion and we can, you know, try and open up some time for people to pray for one another. And we, we ask, you know, how's your week been? What can we be praying into, for, you know, for you? What, how can we be supporting you? How can we be encouraging you? And we know how it is that we're expected to respond in that moment. The, the church answer, God is good. Life is good. Everything's going fine. And we just kind of hide What's going on? Or maybe it's like, ah, do you know what? I lost my job this week, but God is good. He's going to use this as an opportunity to bring about something better for me. Now, don't hear me wrong. I absolutely believe that God can use our hard times and our challenges and our troubles to work about something good. But we have this lingo that we use, this automated response that we give to the question when we're asked, how are you doing? And then if you're in that group conversation and you've all gone round, yeah, I'm fine, God's good, everything's cool. And then one person, what? My life sucks right now. That's why I'm here. Life is hard. 
Let's pray for each other. I am not okay. And then we just kind of get a bit uncomfortable and we're like, why is this person opening up? Why are they being honest? Don't they know how it is that we are supposed to respond in this situation? You keep your feelings to yourself. But this attitude, this culture, and I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about the church is that actually I think there are a number of reasons why we've been conditioned to respond to that question like this. Why it, is, why it is that we feel we can't admit to how we really feel. And the first is that we know that Jesus has saved us. That's true, isn't it? We know that God has saved us from our sins because he died on a cross and he loves us and he is for us and we get to spend eternity with him in heaven and that is amazing and so, well, I can't complain. I can't admit that anything's wrong with me. I can't admit that maybe I feel a bit rubbish because I have been saved by God through his death and resurrection Again, don't hear me wrong, that is true. But that doesn't mean that we can't feel down. And another reason is that we compare our feelings and our situations to other people's. And so we might be feeling miserable. Oh, do you know what? I didn't get this promotion that I was going for this week. I I put in the work, I did the presentation, But I didn't get the promotion. But I better not complain about it because there are people in church who don't even have a job. Or I put in an application for that dream house that I've always wanted. It was the house that ticked all of the boxes on our wish list. But it wasn't accepted. And so I'm feeling a little bit hurt and a little bit down right now in this moment. But... I better not bring that request to anyone in church because, you know, there are people that are renting. There are people in this world who don't even have a house. And so how can I feel bad? How can I feel miserable or sad or a little bit depressed because my dream house wasn't given to me? And so we need to get some perspective or that's how we feel. I need to just get a bit of perspective on my situation because my situation is never as bad as someone else's. And do you know that's true for everyone? You can look at that person who you're comparing life to and then they can be going through something and they're thinking that actually they can't complain because there's someone else who's going through it even worse. And so when we share these kind of things, we get a response back from people that's like, You just need to get some perspective, man. You can't bring those complaints in here because there are people worse off than you. And so we make a mental note, okay, that is not how to respond when I'm asked how I feel. And so we push it down and we push it down and we keep it to ourselves. But we need a culture shift. We need a culture shift that allows us that gives us the freedom, that gives us permission if we think we need permission in this moment to actually share how it is that we really feel. Even when, even when our situation isn't as bad as someone else's. Because you know, someone else's hardship doesn't impact how much your pain hurts you. 
And you know, there's one phrase, probably worse than any other phrase, that shames people into silence. And it's this, at least. Anyone be given an at least phrase? And so you're like, this has happened to me. Oh, well, at least you have a home. At least you have a job. Oh, you've been through that situation. Well, at least it wasn't as bad as my week. At least. Well, yeah, that's probably true. But right now I am hurting. Right now I am in pain. And so don't belittle my feelings because someone else is worse off. I want you to know this morning that it doesn't matter how bad someone else has it. You're allowed to feel your pain. You're allowed to feel what it is that you're going through. And we as a church, as the body of Christ, we are called to be a community who supports one another, who prays for one another, who cheers each other on when life is going well. And this idea that it is not okay to not be okay is utter nonsense. Because even Jesus admitted when he wasn't okay. Just let that sink in for a moment. Even Jesus admitted when he wasn't okay. Do you know, if, if you're going through anything in life and you're uncertain whether it's acceptable, all you need to do is look in the word and look at the life of Jesus and see if he went through it too. Because I believe that Jesus is an example for us of how we can live our lives. And that actually we know that Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. But that is not because he wasn't tempted. That is not because he didn't go through the things that we go through. He isn't perfect because his life wasn't as hard as our life. He lived a perfect life because he was perfectly in tune with his father. He didn't live a perfect life because he was fully God. He lived a perfect life, fully human. And so he set this example for us and for how we should live. And even Jesus was willing to admit, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And so in this moment that we've read this morning, I believe it is such a powerful demonstration of the humanity of Jesus. And that's sometimes something that we can struggle with because we have to wrestle with this truth that Jesus was both fully God, and we can see that through the, the words in his life, through the words in the gospel, through the miracles that he performed, through the words that he spoke. We can see and know that he was fully God, but he was also fully human. He was also fully human. And so that is this kind of thing that we need to wrestle with and try to get to grips with and understand that he didn't live his perfect life because he was fully God. He lived his perfect life fully human. And the thing that strikes me about this moment in Gethsemane is that up until this point, he spent a lot of time talking to his disciples and explaining what it was that was about to happen. He told them that he was going to die multiple times. And as he was sharing about the fate that lay ahead of him, 
even though it was this horrific, brutal fate that no man would want to face, he shared this truth with them, seemingly totally unfazed by what it was that was ahead of him. And he shared that multiple times. And, you know, what he was about to face was just the most horrific death you could ever imagine. Shamed, brutalized, whipped until inches moments of death and then hung on a cross to suffocate and die for us. He was about to face this horrific thing and no one in their right mind, knowing that that was ahead of them, would approach it without some element of fear and worry and concern. And Jesus is fully human. And so he too approached this. Even though before this moment in Gethsemane, it seemed like he wasn't phased. It seemed like he was almost fine with what it was he was about to go through. In this moment, we see him fully human, on his knees, pleading with his father. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And so these words that he spoke to his friends before he went to pray, they shine a light on his humanity. They, they shine a light on the emotion that he was going through these few hours before his death. In verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death even to death. The Passion Translation says, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged into his soul, plunged his soul, sorry, into agony. And he said to them, my heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. These are the words that Jesus spoke to his closest friends. And the terms used in the original language, they speak of extraordinary emotion and expression and just describing like the deepest feelings anyone could ever feel. He was going through some real pain here. He was really struggling. This isn't some kind of pretense. This isn't something to make us feel good when we go through stuff. He's really hurting in this moment. He's really feeling what it is that is about to come. And yet for some reason, we've created this stigma around sadness, especially amongst Christians, I think. And that might be a broad stroke, but I think it's true. That we've created this idea that we can't be sad or we can't be depressed or we can't feel anxious because we have victory in Christ. And we do have victory in Christ. That's absolutely true. But here... In this moment, we see Jesus give in to the weight of his grief. Do you know, if we deny our sadness, if we, if we suppress that emotion, we're denying a part of our humanity that Jesus himself embraced. He didn't push it down. He didn't put on a mask and say, I'm fine. He allowed his feelings and his emotions to be expressed and to be shared through his words to his closest friends. 
And so after this confession of intense emotion, Jesus leaves his friends to to go in a bit further to the garden to pray by himself. And so as we're reading that story with fresh eyes and not knowing what was about to come, we hear that Jesus is feeling really down and he's really struggling, but he's going to go in to pray on his own. What kind of prayer do we imagine that Jesus might pray in that moment if we didn't know what was going to happen? Maybe we would think he was going to say, thank you, Father, for this awesome privilege that lies ahead of me. Thank you, Father. Or maybe we would think he would pray, I know that I can handle whatever is coming because I have you. And both of those things are true. But they are not the words that he chose to pray. Instead, what we see is Jesus uttering words that in this moment, if we were Jesus, these are the kind of words that we might pray. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Find another way if that is okay, if that is possible. If anything else can do the thing that we are here to do, if there is any other opportunity, possibility, any other path that we can take other than me getting brutalized and shamed and dying on a cross, please can we do that? That's the prayer that we see Jesus praying and perhaps it makes us a bit uncomfortable because now we're seeing Jesus fully human. I think it's incredible because he's not looking at his destiny through God-tinted glasses. He's looking at it fully human. His prayer isn't, God, get me through this. It's, God, get me out of this. I'm Jesus, get me out of here. But before stating his concern, before even expressing this desire that his father would find another option, I love this. He grounds himself, he anchors himself in God's unconditional love. If we look at this prayer and we break it down, before he pleads for another option, He grounds himself in God's love. He says, my father. In Mark's gospel, it reads, Abba, father. He's not only acknowledging the power of God, but he's also expressing a humble admiration for his father. And actually what we're seeing when we read those words, Abba, father, is that he's making almost an intimate request of his heavenly dad. There's kind of this this moment where it's a parallel between you are king of kings and lord of lords, but you're also my dad. And so I'm coming to you knowing how much you love me, knowing how much you care for me, knowing how much you are there for me. My father, Abba, father. In Luke's telling of this story, he adds this detail. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, Luke was a doctor. And so I believe that in his telling of this portion of scripture, that he wanted us to know that the physical manifestation of Jesus' anxiety was these beads of sweat as thick as blood falling to the ground. There are 
a bunch of different ideas and theologies around what this looks like, whether it was actual blood or whatever. I believe it was tears and sweat as thick as blood. But Luke wanted us to know that there was something serious going on in this moment, no matter which approach you take to that. There was something going on. There was real pain here. There was real pain in this moment. And so in Gethsemane, Jesus shows us that he doesn't like suffering any more than we do. None of us enjoy pain, do we? We don't love and relish suffering. And so in this moment, on his knees, Jesus doesn't look like God. Jesus looks like me, and he looks like you. And so I hope that we can take some comfort from this this morning. For me, this is one of the most powerful examples of how we should be before God. Open and honest and transparent and authentic. Pete Grieg from 24-7 Prayer, he says, It's hard to overstate the extent to which these five words of the heart of Christ's prayer in Gethsemane take this cup from me, have given permission to people ever since to pray imperfectly, honestly, and even improperly at times of tribulation. You know, it's okay to pray this prayer. God, take this pain from me. Find another way. I don't want to go through this thing that I'm going through. It hurts. It sucks. It's rubbish. Find another way. It's okay to pray that prayer. I know sometimes we can get this feeling of, I can't be selfish in my prayers. I can't pray so much for myself. But we can. You have permission from Jesus to pray selfishly, to pray for yourself in your time of need, to acknowledge that, yes, I'm going through something and it's really painful, but God, I want you to find me another way. This is how I'm feeling right now. These are my emotions. God, I'm just being real with you. It's okay to pray this kind of prayer. I've prayed this kind of prayer many times, and I am no doubt I will pray these kind of prayers again. But if you haven't recognized this truth before, you have permission. You have the freedom to pray honest prayers, to pray authentic prayers, to pray imperfect prayers when times get tough, when you're facing difficult circumstances, when life overwhelms you. You can pray that kind of prayer. God doesn't get offended. He doesn't get offended by your authenticity. Don't push it down. Don't push it down. Don't hide behind some kind of false impression that you've got it all together. None of us have. It might look like it when we come to church dressed in our finest and sipping our coffee and I'm fine. It looks like we've got it all together, but not one person in this room has. We're all messed up. We're all going through stuff. That's the real stuff. We just live in this Instagram highlight reel. But the good thing is this, that Jesus doesn't end his prayer there. That is not the end of it. God, find another way. The end. That is not it. Because he adds on another sentence. And I believe it's a sentence that you and I perhaps might leave out. 
that Jesus prays this prayer and he continues. But when we say, God, find another way, we say amen and we go to bed because we want another way. But Jesus doesn't end there. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Your will be done in this situation. Your will be done, not mine. I'm going to pray selfishly because I don't want to go through this. But yet, your will be done. Your will be done. Jesus was willing to face the suffering head on, if that's what his father wanted. And that is incredible. He knew what he was facing. He knew what was coming. He hoped for another way. He asked for a diversion to the path. But he was willing to. He wasn't forced to the cross. He chose to go to the cross for you and for me. And so when he hears the rustling of the soldiers approaching, he decides to face what he knew was coming next. Instead of hiding, do you know, Jesus is like the, the final Adam. And so in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam was feeling like he'd messed up, he hid from God. But in this garden, the final Adam sought God. He didn't hide from God. He sought God. He faced what was coming. And so he steps out in the open, open and he tells his friends, the time has come. The time has come. You know, I used to think that the, the lesson of Gethsemane was to be like Jesus and to face our suffering bravely. Paul tells us, doesn't he, that we should rejoice in times of tribulation. That we should celebrate our struggles. And I believe they are words of encouragement for us when we do face hardship, but we can also see the example from Jesus that says it's okay to acknowledge your pain and your suffering. And so I used to think it was that we should be like Jesus and face our suffering bravely, that we should drink the cup that is put before us even when we don't want to. But I'm not sure that that's the whole picture of this story. I'm not sure that's everything that we are supposed to learn because between his prayers in Gethsemane, Jesus went back to the spot where he'd left his friends. And I don't know, he brought his friends along with him, didn't he? He chose the extra three and he said, come with me as we go a little bit deeper into the garden so we can pray together. And he returns after praying one-on-one -on -one with his father I believe to, to find some encouragement, to find some support, which is what we would do and expect and hope from our friends. But every time he returned, he found them asleep. And he says to Peter, so you could not watch with me for even one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. And when Jesus says that the flesh, the body is weak, I don't think he's being critical. I think he's just being honest. He's just being truthful because Jesus knows that my spirit might be willing, but that actually my body is weak. Does anyone feel tired this morning? And I'm not just talking about I got up really early and so I'm a bit tired. He's just feeling weary this morning. 
Do you know, I want to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and spend two hours in prayer and reading my Bible, but I am not a morning person. My body is weak. I want to volunteer more and I want to serve my community more. My heart is willing, but my body is weak. I want to face the trials and the suffering that come into my path just as Jesus did with maturity and with boldness and with patience. My heart is willing, but my body is oh so weak. I want to drink that bitter cup of suffering as Jesus did, but I just can't bring myself to do it because I'm weak. Because I'm weak. You know, Gethsemane reminds us that Jesus drank that cup for us. Jesus drank that cup for us. He knew that Peter and the rest of his friends, he knew that they were going to soon abandon him. And yet he faced the agony of the cross for them. And the truth is that he knows that we are going to mess up time and time again. That we're going to deny him. That we're going to reject him. That we're going to curse him. He knows that and yet he chose to go to the cross for you and for me. He chose to do it. And so I think that we can take three things from this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three things that, that we can do when we're feeling not okay. And the first is this, pour it out to God. Pour it out to God. When we look at this prayer of Jesus, he's not holding anything back. He's not pushing anything down. He's not pretending to be anything that he's not. He's just pouring his heart out to his Father. He's being open and honest and vulnerable. You know, when you're, when you're struggling, when you're when you're facing issues in your life, please don't try to lock it away and push it down and pretend it's not there. Because who knows that that is not helpful in life. That at some point, you can press it down and press it down and press it down, but it's going to come to the surface and it'll explode. And then you'll say things that you don't mean and you'll do things that you didn't mean to do. And it's just not a good way to live. So look at the example of Jesus and when you're facing struggles, when you're going through tough times, pour it out to God. Pour it out to God. And don't use the words that you think you're supposed to say. All the these and the thous and the making sure that you've ticked all the prayer boxes. You don't need to do that. He doesn't expect that. Just use the words that you're feeling. Just let it pour out to God. We've been watching uh, Grey's Anatomy recently. With, if you watch it, well, then we're up to the bit in Grey's Anatomy where they're going through COVID, the very beginning of it. It's really miserable to return to the beginning of COVID, but we're watching it anyway. We're suffering through it. And there's this moment in this episode we watched the other day where two of the staff in this hospital, they're sitting in a room together and they're just yelling. They're not yelling at each other. They're just going through the hell that is working in the hospital, seeing all these people dying. And they're just really feeling so rubbish that instead of pushing it down, they just, they're just yelling, this is rubbish, I hate this, this is not okay. 
And the one of them's doing this, and she says to the other one, just yell, it'll make you feel better. And so she starts yelling, I hate this, this is rubbish. I don't want to see any more people die. Oh, I do feel a bit better. I do feel it. And it's not like formal. We're not going through the motions. We're not saying the things that we feel like we should say. We're just pouring it out to God in whatever form it comes out in. He won't take offense. He won't get upset that you forgot to say our Father in heaven or that you forgot to say amen at the end. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just pour it out to God. Number two, persevere. Three times Jesus went back further on from his friends to pray to God, to pray the same prayer to God. Please find another way. I don't want to go through this. This does not sound pleasant. Please make there be another way. But if not, your will be done. Three times he prayed that prayer. Round after round of fervent, persistent prayer. And when he returned that first time, he found Peter and James and John asleep. And he wakes them up and he says, could you not watch with me for one hour? Could you not support me for just one hour? And I imagine in that moment that he probably felt hurt and he, he probably felt let down by them because he'd invited them with him to support him and to encourage him and they couldn't even stay awake because their bodies were weak. And he goes again to pray the same prayer to his father. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he returns again. And they're asleep again. But this time he doesn't wake them up. He's feeling a little bit more hurt. He's feeling a little bit more let down. But now I imagine he's just feeling really alone in his pain. And yet he goes again to pray. He goes a third time to get on his knees before his father and pray the same words again. He just keeps on going. He keeps on praying. He keeps on seeking God. We need to pour it out to God. We need to persevere in our prayers. And thirdly, we need to ask our friends to help. And that might sound like a really weird third point after we've just talked about how rubbish Jesus' friends were. But I believe that there's a principle here, that there's something that we can learn from here. Because Jesus went to Gethsemane with his disciples, with the 11 of his closest friends, because Judas was off doing his thing on his own. So he had 11 with him in the garden, and then he chose to take three of those a little bit further into the garden to be his support, to be his close network, to be his band of brothers. And so when I say, ask your friends for help, I don't mean the eight, metaphorically speaking. I mean the three, those who are closest to you. Don't just post a message on Facebook to your 173 followers saying, I'm feeling a bit rubbish about this situation right now. Take it to those who are closest to you. Share openly and honestly with the people who are going to come around you, who are going to stand with you, who are going to cry with you, who are going to scream and shout with you. 
you know, it can almost be easy to, to share with the eight, to share with those that are on the fringes, to drop a message into a, a large group chat. And it, it almost makes you feel like you've done the right thing. Yeah, I've, I've acknowledged that I'm feeling a bit rubbish in this situation. I, I've told some people it's all good. But if they're not the kind of people who will challenge you, who will encourage you, who will support you, if they're the kind of people who will maybe go, oh, that's a bit rubbish, mate, sorry. I'm praying for you. And then never ask again how you're doing. Or if they come out with you, you with an, well, at least such and such, then they are the wrong people. You need to find the three. Find the three that are closest to you, the ones that will get into your pain with you because all of your Facebook followers can't get into your situation with you. Only a select few can. That is the privilege of your closest friends, of your brothers, of your sisters, to get in with, your, with you in your pain, to get on their knees with you, to scream with you, to, to shout with you, to persevere with you, to pour it out with you. And I'm believing, I believe that church should be a place where you can find the three, where you can find those people who will do all of those things with you. Because if your brothers and sisters in Christ can't be that person for you, then we are not living the life that Jesus calls us to live. I'm believing for a church where you can find that kind of community where you can find those people. And I know that there are people in this room who will do that with you, who will support you, who will come alongside you. You know, Jesus was a grown man, speaking to grown men when he said that my soul is sorrowful. Guys, it feels like I'm dying. He was a fully grown man. There is no shame in grown men admitting that they are struggling. No shame whatsoever. Jesus opened up. He admitted that he wasn't okay. And he set, I believe, an example for how we should live. An example for how we should live in everything that he did. If you just read the Jesus story, you will see this example of how we should live as followers of Christ. And this too is one of those moments. He had every reason to give up. What he was about to face was enough to make anyone turn and run the other way as fast as they flipping could. But he didn't give up. Instead, he walked in the call of his father. Your will be done. Your will be done. And he changed the world. His actions changed the world and we have life because of his death. And so maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, that's okay because he's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. He was able to do that because he is Jesus. But the Bible says, if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead also lives in you, he will give life to your bodies. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We have the same spirit within us that Jesus had. So there's no use saying, I'm not Jesus, I can't do it. Because Jesus was fully human. 
He was fully God, yes, but he was also fully human. And so we can do that too. We can have that strength too. We can push through and persevere as well because the same spirit lives in us when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. When we seek his forgiveness and invite him into our lives, the same spirit is within us. We are not Jesus, but his spirit lives in us. The same Jesus that was not okay in this moment, but walked on anyway, is the same Jesus that is walking with you, that is working with you in every moment of your life. And so I want to encourage you this morning to to give you permission if you think that you need it to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. And we're here for you. If you need support, if you don't have that three and you need someone to pour it out with, come and speak to me. Come and speak to Ruth. Come and speak to our leaders, your life group leaders. We are here for you. We want to stand with you. We want to cry with you. We want to scream and shout with you. We want to pour it out and persevere with you. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for this example that you, that you set for us in the garden. That this example that gave us permission to feel all of our feelings that allows us to acknowledge when we're going through really rubbish situations, to not push it down, to not pretend, to not hide, but to pour it out to our Heavenly Father. And so, God, I pray for everyone here this morning that's facing challenges and struggles and things that are just beating them down to feeling broken, that, God, you would draw close to them, that you would draw around them brothers and sisters in Christ that will stand with them in their pain, that will not gloss over what's going on, that will not at least them, that will not shame them into silence, but that will get down with them and hold their hands and weep with them and seek your face into this situation. God, we pray for more people like that. Bring around us people like that that will help us when we're down. But God, ultimately, we pray your will be done. That even though we might, in certain moments, plead for there to be another way, that we might cry out for you to remove this pain from us, to remove this situation from us, that God, your will be done. Your will be done. And I pray you will give the Give us the strength and the courage and the peace to walk it through, knowing that you are with us every step of the way. That we are not alone. That you don't just encourage us and send us off into the valley, but that you walk with us every step of the way. So we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.